Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for engineers who want to succeed in both work and life. In today's episode, I talk with Daniel Lascalzo. Daniel's a young civil engineer from the New York metropolitan area, and we get into a discussion about engineers and their role in legislation. Now, this is a really interesting discussion for me, an episode for me. I've spent the last five years working closely with the New York State Society of Professional Engineers and trying to further legislation for engineers in New York, which is an organization that's a branch, a state society of the National Society of Professional Engineers, which is doing a lot of legislative work across the country. In fact, there's been threats to licensure overall in many states across the country, and not necessarily specific to engineering, but if one state starts to take away a a license, say for nurses, then that could start to trickle to other professions. Daniel and I are both members of ASCE as well. And in this discussion, Daniel's going to talk about a specific ASCE program that helped him to get involved in the legislative effort. And really what I liked about this episode is we talked about the importance of legislation to engineers and to the public. And I think it's something that a lot of engineers don't understand. They don't even grasp it. Because you're so focused on your projects, you don't realize that what legislation could do to you, your career, your projects, the public, and you have a say in that. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Before we get into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Daniel, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. I have some exciting news. PPI, our exclusive exam prep podcast sponsor, is giving away $100 Amazon gift cards every month to our listeners. For more information on how to qualify, make sure to listen to my announcement later on in the episode. I also want to take a moment to tell you about our new Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, which you can find at engineertomanager.com. For almost 10 years now, I've been trying to figure out how to help engineers become more effective engineering managers, and I believe that I finally figured out how. And it comes down to three words, intensity, focus, and accountability. And if you enroll in our Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, you will experience all three. I'm going to tell you more about the program at the end of the show as we are enrolling engineers for our next session right now at engineertomanager.com. All right, now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's civil engineering conversation so you get to know a little bit about him before we dive in. As a civil engineer, And an individual, Daniel takes pride in improving his community economically, socially, and environmentally while growing professionally, which is something I think all civil engineers should strive for. Daniel provides design engineering services and construction management, civil site design, and transportation engineering for public and government organizations in Nassau County and the greater New York tri-state area. He takes his work personally as he feels that it affects not only him, but his family, his neighbors, and his community as a whole. Daniel also volunteers with organizations such as Habitat for Humanity and as a volunteer firefighter to put his technical knowledge to good use. Daniel feels that engineers have a responsibility, as do all people, to practice environmental consciousness. As a certified lead professional, Daniel feels that it is essential to understand the way engineering projects integrate with our environment 
and how they can better forge a working relationship between them. All right, now it's time to jump in today's civil engineering conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for our civil engineering conversation, and today I'm excited to welcome Daniel Escalzo to the podcast. Daniel, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Great to be here. All right, Daniel. So before we jump in here, why don't you tell our listeners about what stage you're at in your career? Where are you at right now? I've been in the field now for six years as an engineer. I got my professional license last year or earlier this year, and I am licensed in New York, currently working in uh, civil site design and structural design for a firm called the Lero Group here in the tri-state area. And the reason that we're focusing on the topic of uh, engineers and politics, legislation, advocacy, these types of efforts on this episode today is because when I had the chance to meet Daniel not long ago in an event in the city, he mentioned it to me. And for me personally, I'm thinking about engineers and politics and the impact that we can have. It didn't really dawn that much on me until I started getting very involved with the National Society of Professional Engineers and working with the New York State Society of Professional Engineers. And also, of course, through my membership with the American Society of Civil Engineers, these associations tend to be a good avenue to get involved. And Daniel's going to get into that. But Daniel, before we go down that road, let's just start by addressing, in your opinion, what's been the historical role of engineers in politics? What have you seen? Talk about that a little bit. Well, historically, in the United States, we have a preconception that most of our legislative members are lawyers. I mean, that, while true in the United States, is not always the case worldwide. In fact, engineers are much more prevalent in governing bodies such as in China and they have for over a thousand years, where they occupy offices within their party at a much higher level. In the United States, engineers mostly have served kind of behind the front lines as an advisor to a legislative member. That means that most engineers really weren't in the spotlight. They weren't within the public eye. But we do have kind of a change that's been occurring over time in that due to the dawn of photography and social media and the internet, where engineers are now becoming more part of the political conversation. They're being more thrust into that role of that the they're closely associated with a, kind of like a political ideology. Which makes sense. I mean, listen, I think in the world we live in, not that engineering was ever not important, but some of the most challenging, basically the biggest problems the world facing right now is related to engineering. So you could see how policy and government, engineering is going to be more commonly a topic of conversation, Daniel, as far as what the future holds for engineers and politics. Do you see it increasing? What do you think it looks like? I mean, we're starting to see actually more engineers in legislative positions. In fact, in the 111th Congress, I don't know about any further than that, but there were six engineers that served as congressional members during that time period. And I think that that's probably due to the fact that as a profession, we're well trusted by the public and people turn to us for advice on how to make decisions in our society. I hope that that continues to increase that our standing as a profession gives us the trust of the public in order to make sound decisions. I do think that you know we've had characters throughout history that are of an engineering background, or at least in the engineering field, such as Robert Moses, that uh, have been proponents of engineering in our society. And I feel that people like uh, Elon Musk today 
are continually advancing that conversation as to how engineers can shape the world. Very well said. I, I agree that I think engineers are do have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to continue to get more involved and continue to become those experts and those people that the politicians can rely on. There are some engineers that are politicians that have gone into politics. So with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about some of the programs available or some of the programs that can be helpful to doing that. So what I want to mention before I turn over to Daniel here is I've done a lot of work with the National Society of Professional Engineers, and they have some excellent programs when it comes to uh, legislative action for engineers. And they have a whole resource center on issues and advocacy on their website at nspe.org. We've also done some work through the New York State Society of Professional Engineers, which is revolved around getting to know the politicians to be available to them when they have a need. So if something happens on a roadway and the politician says, we have to change it so it doesn't happen again, we want them to be able to know that, oh, let's call the New York State Society of Professional Engineers, or let's call Anthony, who's an engineer in this location. He's an expert. Let's get advice from him so we can maybe think about some new legislation. Daniel, what's the program that you want to talk about with regards to being in touch with politicians? Well, the program that I'm involved with is the American Society of Civil Engineers Key Contacts Program. And what the Key Contact Program strives to accomplish is to bring government advocacy in the interest of its members to Congress and then also at the state level. It provides an avenue to help engineers to access the politicians? or That's correct. The Key Contact Program actually has 12 full-time staffers. Their job is to research what's going on currently in government on the congressional level, see what bills are coming to the floor, what the conversation currently is. They decide on basically a public policy statement. They derive public policy statements and that those statements they use to try and advance the goals of the engineering profession. So for example, if they see something coming up in public policy that says that licensure maybe should be done away with, which actually has occurred in a couple of states where there have been bills discussing the removal of professional licensure for engineers or for other professions. Yes. They mobilize members in order to prevent that bill from becoming a law or from reaching a legislative body floor. So when you say they reach out to members, they have a list of members that have signed up for this program, correct? Like you are. That's correct. There are over 150,000 members of ASCE, but not all of them are in the key contact program. Okay. And uh, they reach out usually through email or through email newsletters. They're not always directly emailing each member. So it's basically a great way for you to be able to commit to helping and then put yourself in a position that they can reach out to you. Have you gotten the call or have you been involved in any specific legislation or are you still kind of new to this? Absolutely. I've been involved for the last three years and I've been involved both on the state level and the federal level. And what it currently involves for most members in the key contact program is that they're volunteers. They have a full-time job and they are asked to, to do certain things based on a completely volunteer basis. So for example, if there's legislation that's on the floor that they would like you to call a politician about or to email a politician about, they'll send out some sort of alert and request that you make a phone call to your local politician, specifically the one that you're a constituent of or one even that's close by to your constituency, 
and advocate for a certain position on ASCE's behalf. I've also been involved with, on the federal level, they have something called the legislative fly-in, where members are flown in on their own dime to Washington, D.C., and have meetings with congressional members or their staffers. And that is a a two-day process where you go on the first day and you go through the different types of advocacy procedure and, and speaking with congressional members or their legislative assistants. And then on the next day, you have interviews or meetings set up with these members to discuss those issues. I just want to say here, I mean, there was really two main reasons that I wanted to do this this episode with Daniel. One of them, of course, being Daniel talking about his experience with doing this and giving talking about the different programs and avenues where you can get involved from the legislative side of things, which I think is really important. And even before that, the other reason is because I think that a lot of engineers, especially younger civil engineers, don't even understand that this is a side of what we do. I think you get really focused on the technical things and the projects early on in your career, which I understand you have to. You have to learn. You have to become very proficient technically. You have to become an expert. But you also should just be aware that the projects that you're working on, the challenges that we're facing are very much a part of the political landscape, right? The political landscape is what can drive a lot of these problems, issues, or help you to change them. So I just want you to be aware that this isn't an episode or this isn't a topic where you should say something like, eh, you know, this isn't really for me. And we also recently did an episode with a gentleman who has a website called strongtowns.org who got into a lot of these issues as well with infrastructure. So obviously on this podcast, we're trying to help you think beyond just the idea of doing your civil engineering job, how you can become more well-rounded. And what I want to mention too, in addition to the ASE Key Contact Program, We're going to link the links to some of these programs we're talking about, like the ASCE program is asce.org forward slash key contacts. We could take a look at that. I also want to mention that the National Society of Professional Engineers has quite a few tools as well, and one of them is their Legislative Action Center, which you can find at nspe.org underneath Issues and Advocacy, where you can sign up for alerts of different things that happen in your location, which could be really helpful if you don't have time to keep an eye on everything. So there's a lot of tools out there. And again, we'll do some linking to them at the end of the episode. But you know, we're trying to make you aware of the importance of this and then also give you some programs and tools to implement it or get involved. Daniel, any other programs you can think of that you want to mention? There are a few programs that I know of specifically from dealing with ASCE, such as the Associated General Contractors of America. I know they work closely with ASCE sometimes to create a public policy statement and create a certain position that they're going to go to politicians on. And then I also know that the American Council of Engineering Companies has worked with ASCE as well. But that's not to say that there aren't a lot of others out there. There's plenty of people and groups that are on the Hill trying to advocate for certain legislation. And I really would, I would recommend that anyone who's interested in, in public policy or politics try and look into professional organizations that they're a part of to see if they can do more within the existing infrastructure of their organization, or maybe even perhaps think about creating a branch. That's a great point. Don't stop if you can't find something within reach for you. You can think about creating something. So Daniel, let me kind of play devil's advocate a little bit here. I mean, we live in a democracy. We have the opportunity to vote for our elected officials, which gives us a voice. Why is it so important that we're taking the extra step as engineers and having discussions with politicians? 
Well, it's important to speak with politicians because we only have so many times that we get to vote in a certain cycle and really is important for us to continually have communication with our politicians. One thing actually that I didn't mention before that ASC does is they constantly are reaching out for press to showcase and keep in the conversation what is going on with our infrastructure. And one way that they do that is the uh, infrastructure report card. And that highlights the state of America's infrastructure in certain areas and gives them a letter grade. And that report card then gives a very simple way for us to see how our infrastructure is doing. So if we talk to politicians and we can say, look, our infrastructure in water resources is at a D, or if our rail infrastructure is at a B, we need to do these things in order to fix it. And that has a profound impact on a lot of people's lives. So the fact that someone gets elected based on your vote is important, but the fact that they still represent you after that vote and have to keep representing you is why we have to keep talking with them. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And I agree with you that ASC, he's done a great job of doing the marketing around the legislative work. I've always been one to say that you could do all the legislative work you want, but if people don't know about it, it's not going to help you build that momentum. And the report card is a brilliant thing because, I mean, I've seen it on CNN. I've seen it get referenced in all kinds of places that, again, brings exposure to what um, ASC is doing. That's also something that we did at the New York State Society of Professional Engineers where we started having our uh, attorney come in, our, our lobbyists come in and do videos on this, the initiatives we're working on, how members can help, the wins that we've had, the challenges we're struggling with, and just to, again, another media channel to get the word out there. So that's an excellent point. So Daniel, tell the listeners some things that you have learned from working with politicians. Well, I think that one of the most interesting things that I learned from working in Washington, D.C. through the federal legislative fly-in is that the Hill is actually much younger than you would think. The majority of congressmen don't have time to really meet with every single constituent and has something to discuss with them, although as important as it might be, they just have a lot on their plates. So most of the real work falls on their legislative assistants. And the average age of a legislative assistant on the Hill is 27 years old, which is, I mean, much younger than I would have expected. I think that for anyone that feels intimidated by the idea of talking about politics with congressional members or with their government on the federal or state level, should really think about the fact that they, all they have to do is talk to a 27-year-old. That's really the type of people you have to deal with. You can talk to a 27-year-old. You can talk to someone who's in government regarding the importance of something in our nation. And uh, that is another reason why we have to keep discussing things with our politicians is because the legislative assistants are the ears for these politicians. We have to keep these legislative assistants thinking about what's important and why it's important to our society. And there is a large amount of turnover for legislative assistance, they use it as a stepping ground to other things and uh, to move on to other parts of their career. So, for example, with every meeting that I've had, I've never had a meeting with the same assistant. So you have to keep educating them basically on why this is important, why their congressional member has to be involved with that issue and what they can do right now to make a difference. Something else that I found very interesting was that if you're topic of conversation kind of lapses and people aren't talking about it anymore, it's kind of in, in some sort of jeopardy because if it's 
not being discussed, then appropriations for those kinds of actions could be in jeopardy or something of that nature. So there's a saying in Washington that you're either at the table or you're on the table. If you're not being talked about, then something could happen to you and you might not get what you need. So keeping that conversation flowing is very important. I mean, we see today that you know healthcare is a big part of the discussion right now in politics. And why is that? Everyone, there's a lot of discussion about healthcare within the public. If we had that same kind of conversation in infrastructure, then perhaps the conversation would be very different right now. Maybe we'd be talking about how to improve infrastructure as compared to bringing up bills about healthcare. I do know that there is a program, which I'll mention later, that allows engineers to get involved with politics. And uh, someone that I know who uh, worked there had mentioned that she was in the office of a congressional member and uh, they were constantly getting phone calls on healthcare and the phones were off the hook. While she was working there, she was also trying to advocate for a dam rehabilitation program and dam safety program, which was a legislative achievement actually of ASCE. They did get some dam safety bills passed uh, regarding the safety of our dam infrastructure. But the politician said to her, well, how many phone calls have I gotten regarding infrastructure this week? And she had to answer honestly that there were none. You know, the phones are off hook for one topic, but on another, really, there is uh, silence. So there's nothing that a politician can really do if his constituents aren't really talking about it. Politicians are given the task of representing their constituents, and if they're not talking about it, then their hands are kind of tied. And then I guess the last thing that I learned was that I never really thought about the procedure in which bills are created, but the largest, the controlling party in government actually controls which bills will hit the floor. So for example, right now, since the Republicans control both the House and the Senate, they're controlling the bills that reach the floor. In their case, they have a certain agenda, regardless of what the Democratic group once, they're not going to be able to advance something to the floor and get it to a vote. Let's now move in that direction, Daniel, and I have a two-part question, just a few more here on this topic of, and then we'll jump into our end segment. What would be your advice for engineers now who are listening to you and they do want to become more involved in politics? And the second part of that is, do you have to specifically be part of a specific party to make an impact on the political conversation? For anyone who wants to be more involved in politics, I think it's really a, a three-part process, and you can jump on at any stage, really, it's, but it would be to engage in the political discussion, advocate for a political position, or lead for a political position. I mean, if you're engaging in politics, you're really at the stage of familiarizing yourself with the issues, learning about the topic, and kind of formulating a position based on information that you've received, which is basically something that all engineers have been doing for a long time, basically the scientific process with information. You create a hypothesis and you find decision based on that or you come to a conclusion. But then after that, the, the second step would really be to advocate for a certain position. If you feel strongly on it, that you can, for example, be more involved in the key contact program. And instead of just reading about a position, you'd be now advocating for it in government. So you'd be discussing it with legislative members and perhaps educating the public on the issue. And uh, lastly, would be that you could lead 
a political advocacy group. For example, on ASCE, there is a government relations team, which is made up of volunteer members who are engineers in the society. And uh, they create, they have discussions, I think, quarterly regarding what their next step is in terms of government advocacy and uh, discussing strategy. You could also do things on the state level. I do know that ASCE has a program where they'll train you to learn about advocacy and a lot of the different procedures involved in politics, as well as trying to influence people, giving them the correct story that gets your message across or just making memorable conversation. You can also become a state captain where you'd be trained by ASCE or some other organization, and then you're responsible for not only advocating yourself, but for the advocation of others. One other way that engineers could get involved is uh, the AAAS or American Association for the Advancement of Science has a fellow grants program where you can actually work on the Hill for a year as an engineer or someone who has a degree in the natural sciences. It's part of a program to try and get engineers more involved with politics, and it could be a great stepping stone for your career and might even give you different direction in what you think that you want out of your professional uh, career. I mean, I think the bottom line here is that like anything else in your career, if you want to get involved, you have to just roll up your sleeves and do it. I mean, as Daniel has been discussing here for the last 20 minutes or so, there's a lot of avenues to get involved right now. And there, even beyond just a formal avenue, you can literally just get involved by talking to people and engaging like Daniel said here. But really, you have to just identify this as something that's important to you, your career, your company, our industry as a whole, and really civilization, essentially. Because you can have that much of an impact where if enough of us are involved and bills get passed that then help infrastructure, obviously that has a profound impact on a lot of people. So Dan, before we wrap up here and, and jump into our professional development segment, you mentioned to me previously when we met that you had been given an award from ASCE regarding a paper that you wrote on the ethical responsibilities of engineers. Do you feel that there is an ethical element to engineers working in politics? I definitely think that there is an ethical uh, component of working in politics, not only on the idea that if you're working in politics, you should be ethical, but the fact that we almost have an ethical responsibility to be in politics in some way or another. doesn't mean that you have to be at a government position, but the National Society of Professional Engineers has several canons within their ethics that state that we should be involved in uh, these sort of issues. For example, in the rules of practice, we talk about that engineers should always hold paramount the safety, health, and welfare of the public. If we're not adequately educating our political members, it's really a poor showing on our part for being able to say that we're protecting the public. And then we also have more discussion in the third section of the uh, ethical code of conduct that says that we should always strive to serve the public interest and engineers are actually encouraged by our ethical code to be involved in civic affairs. That's an excellent way of putting it. And if you Google NSPE Code of Ethics, it'll take you to their website where you can download their Code of Ethics. And you can also download an ethics reference guide, which is an interesting document that you can take a look at. All right. So, Daniel, thanks for taking some time today and walking through some of these avenues and the importance of getting involved in legislative efforts. 
I think this is going to be really helpful to civil engineers, and I'm hoping that you'd stick around for a few more minutes so we can ask you a couple of questions about your professional development. Is that all right? Yeah, that's great. All right. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. Now it's time for a CE Hot Seat segment, which I'm going to pepper Daniel with a few questions. Today's Hot Seat segment is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. If you're preparing for the civil PE exam, you probably know that the Civil Engineering Reference Manual by Michael Lindeberg is the book to use. Michael Lindeberg is actually the founder and president of PPI, the leader in FE and PE exam prep. PPI has new prep courses available for the civil PE exam that offer complete coverage of not only the morning breath exam, but also your choice of afternoon depth exams. The course presents over 60 hours of new content and walks you through tons of exam-like practice problems. When you enroll in the live online prep course, PPI also includes on-demand lectures for free, so you can start studying while you wait for the course to begin. Through October 2017, PPI will be choosing two of our podcast listeners per month to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you enroll in this course. To enter the raffle, visit www.ppitopass.com forward slash civil prep. Again, that's www.ppi, the number two, pass, forward slash civil prep. From there, you'll need to choose your course and check out. On the checkout page, enter the promo code PREP and then complete your enrollment. Again, you need to enter the promo code PREP before completing your enrollment to qualify for the gift card. You'll be notified on the first of the month if you won the $100 gift card. I use PPI for my PE exam prep, so I feel confident in recommending that you check out this prep course. Plus, you could win $100. Good luck. All right, Daniel, welcome to the CE Hot Seat. Are you ready to go? Yes, I'm ready. All right, first question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning ritual or lunchtime ritual, things that you do consistently on a daily basis that contribute to you being a successful professional? I think that one of the most important things that I do every morning when I start out my day is I ride my bike to work. I have a 25-mile round trip to my office and back. And so leaving my house in the morning and getting on a bike really uh, helps me to clear my mind and prepare mentally for the day because it allows me to get some exercise in and think about what I'll be doing while I'm doing that ride. And basically, not only is it a, a workout physically, but I'm planning the rest of my day while I'm on that bike. Wow, that's great. I I mean, I'm a biker too, so I like hearing that, but it's also a great, uh, I could see how that can set the scene really well for your day. And also at the end of the day, I could see how you're kind of blowing off steam or just being able to kind of get everything out from the day as as you're biking home. So that's great. All right, next question. What is one book that you recommend to engineers regularly or just one book that you have found to be extremely helpful in your professional and or personal development? I think the most impactful book that I've read would have to be The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I think uh, I've heard people might have mentioned that before on your podcast, but I've always found the lessons that were in that book extremely helpful in shaping the way I go about my career and prioritizing what I need to do. That's great. I mean, that book is, you're right, it does come up a lot and it's for good reason. In fact, in July, I was at the NSPE 2017 National Conference and the incoming president, Tom Roberts, actually said that he's going to use those habits as how he's going to try to direct the organizations. It's such a well-known book and it's well-known because everything in it is really important and I'm glad that you brought that one up. All right, so here's the final question, Daniel, which we call the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a 
a young civil engineer and had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give him or her career advice in just that short period of time, what would it be? I would tell someone that uh, is trying to advance in their career that they should work really hard on their public speaking because it is amazing how much people overlook that skill and yet it comes up so often in my career where either I have to speak to a group of people who are the public or my clients. And the fact that I can speak well to my clients helps me to make sure that I keep those clients around. That is a great one. And that's, believe me, that's one that I know my listeners have heard about before because I say it all the time. And it's one of those ones that engineers think that they don't have to be good at. But in fact, the better you become as a speaker, the more effective you can be in all avenues of not just career, but life as well. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Where can our listeners find you? I'm assuming they can connect with you or find you on LinkedIn. Yep, that's correct. They can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Before we sign off, remember earlier in the show, I mentioned how we've created a new program called the Engineering Management Accelerator Workshop, which combines intensity, focus, and accountability. Well, it's intense because it's a five-week online program, mostly done outside of working hours. You'll focus because you'll be put on a team with other engineers You'll be given an engineering management problem, and then we'll give you five one-hour skill-building calls on skills like communication, networking, productivity, leadership, and others, and five open coaching calls. And we'll put you in a private forum with your team and a coach, and you'll sprint to find a solution. Then for accountability, you'll present your solution at the end of the program to our coaches and also to your company once you are finished. This is not only accountability, but it's a huge opportunity because the problems that we give you may generate real solutions for your company while helping you become an effective engineering manager and improving your speaking skills. I have met way too many engineers that haven't been able to make that engineer-to-manager leap, and this program is built to change that. So please, visit engineer-to-manager.com to enroll for our next session. Spots are limited, and we sold out our last session in just a few days. Also, on the website, you will see a tab for company reimbursement, where you can download a one-page PDF and some text that you can send with it to your boss in an email, and you'll probably get reimbursed. 90% of our students have. Again, that is www.engineertomanager.com. Questions, contact Anthony at engineeringcareercoach.com. Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com and look for episode number 69. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. You can leave a question in the comments section or visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We monitor all comments and will respond if you leave us one. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com, where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 